0: Based on the 2005 novel by critically acclaimed author Cormac McCarthy and adapted to screen by the Coen brothers, No Country for Old Men would eventually go on to win Best Picture at the 80th Academy Awards in 2008. Set against the backdrop of the Texas-Mexican border in the early 80s, this film takes on a gritty and unsettling tone almost as relentless as its main antagonist. No Country for Old Men is assertively violent, thematically dark, and... Unconventionally structured, never having the three main characters on screen together once, but that didn't stop it from grossing over 171 million dollars worldwide on a 25 million dollar budget. So, in honor of the 15th anniversary of this truly unique story, we once again find ourselves unceasingly marching forward in pursuit of the question: "No Country for Old Men." What's it about? I'm your host Ricardo Blade Diaz, and I'm Seth Crow. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth, how are you today?
1: I'm all right. I'm all right. feeling a little, you know, feeling a little old these days.
0: Uh, well, Full... there's, this, there's no country for you.
1: Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. I, I, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm well. I am well. How are you today?
0: I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Nothing in particular that's bad. Well, we had a pipe burst uh, in my apartment complex, like, underneath the, the – uh, where all the garages are and stuff like that. There was, like, a yeah. pipe that, like, exploded, basically. And so, like, you know, all everybody's cars that are by those garages can't be there. So, like, the streets are now, like, way more packed as far as parking goes than they usually are. And they're doing construction constantly. So, it's, like, a little bit – annoying <laughs> but otherwise it's not that bad all right all right it's, it's frustrating for people who don't have a garage parking spot who usually park on the streets now it's like well, now it's even more difficult yeah. and
1: yeah. then
0: there's there's road construction on the other block so like where like the overflow where like people who they can't find a spot on our street would go now yeah. there's construction there so like it's like now i have to like get up at five in the morning to go move my car before six because there's construction on that road
1: You're uh, so like, it's like if the garage people were Californians and the outside people were like people from the other states. And now all the Californians are leaving California and moving to the other states.
0: Yeah. They're just making it more difficult for everybody.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dude, being from California here is not a, uh, it's, it's kind of. A little rocky it's a it's little a, like
0: it's like a it's like a blemish on your record yeah You're from, yeah you lived in california
1: oh yeah i i still have my tags on my car you know mm-hmm. and uh, i'm pretty sure i got screwed over at the mechanic recently
0: oh because it had california plates yeah
1: yeah they I, I think they were like oh this guy has money he can uh he can afford the full full deal and yikes yeah yeah it was gonna be like six thousand dollars And I thought my car was doomed. I took it to another mechanic, got a second opinion. He's like, Oh, I think it's a $600 fix. I was like $600. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not out of the woods yet. Totally. But compared to go from
0: 6,000 to 600. dude, I hate like uh, no offense to any mechanics out there, but it frustrates me that that is like a a very common occurrence in like car repair. You know, like you'll go to one place and they'll t- give you this insane price and you'll go somewhere else and they'll give you a much lower price. But then you get into the point where it's like, oh, is that person giving me the lower price? Are they actually going to be able to f- are they actually going to fix it properly? you right. You know, like are, yeah. or are they assessing it wrong? And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's horrible. I, I had the same problem a couple of years ago when my car, uh, you know, the, the engine went bad. And I, I had to replace the whole thing. And like one person told me like it was going to be this much. And another person told me it was going to be this much. And, and then, you know, you just never know, man, it really sucks.
1: Yeah. Being an adult's hard. Being a human, being a human's hard, man. It's not easy. Yeah.
0: yeah. I don't like it.
1: Yeah. It's pretty rough. Yeah, Which I, I think like it's a good, man. I think is a good segue into, uh, into this. This this here movie this week.
0: This here movie this week. Yes, we are watching, or no, now we are watching, but we had had just watched No Country for Old Men, and we are going to be talking about what it's about, uh, what we got from it, what it makes us feel, what it makes us think about in our own lives. But Seth, I want to ask you, uh, what is your experience with this movie? Uh, had you seen it before? What do you think of it? If you wanted to give like your just like upfront, just like, hey, this is what I think of this movie.
1: Um. Yeah. It this movie I had seen like 10 years ago or like, I guess when it came out, you know, I oh, seen
0: 15 it. years ago.
1: Yeah. 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 So uh, I hadn't seen it since. So this movie aged, aged like fine wine for me a little bit um, mm-hmm. because I, I guess I'm older. So I, I have a different perspective on it. Honestly, like the action or like the plot and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it, what, that's what I remembered from, you know the first time i watched it like mm. like the incredible violence of it i guess mm. but this time what hit me different was like the language uh like um and just like the the themes the overall themes hit me hit me harder this time mm. um but i i love this movie honestly though it's one of those that i'm like I'm not exactly sure what it's about i'm I'm still mm-hmm. trying to pick it apart it's not it's not simple by any means uh, yeah it's a it's it's a tough nut to crack
0: mm-hmm. yeah i totally- i totally agree with you it this film as far as like i think there is like one b- very broad idea that it's like trying to push forward and then but that one broad idea really encompasses a lot of smaller ideologies and and philosophies you know yeah and so like it, it this film is and this film does such a great job of of demonstrating and highlighting and personifying each of these different philosophies and these different ways of moving through the world um with different characters and the way they all kind of approach things um and we'll get into that in a little bit um for me this is the very first time i've ever seen this movie um yeah. Like I said, uh, in our last podcast, uh, our last episode, uh, I was, you know, in high school at this time, I was like 16. So it just wasn't like hitting my like radar at that point, as far as like movies yeah. that like a 16 a year old wants to go see. Um, so I mi- I missed it at the time. Uh, and it just had never found a reason to like go back and like watch it. And so I was like, okay, let's really go see it. And yeah, I think it's a phenomenal film. It's really well made. It's re- I mean, masterfully acted. Uh, Structure and even as a as a writer, structurally very interesting because, yeah. like I said in the intro, the three like main leads of this movie never actually see each other. Yeah. You know, they do- at one point they appear on screen together: Tommy Lee Jones's character and Josh Brolin's character. But he's already dead at that point. Spoiler yeah. alert, everybody. Yeah. Just so you know, um, he's dead. So he never actually sees sees Sheriff Bell. So it's interesting that these the main protagonists and antagonists, the main players of the of the movie, never interact with each other. Not
1: really. Yeah, I mean, and so like, also, who is the who do you think is the protagonist in this story?
0: It's you know, it's so that's what I'm saying. This movie is so interestingly composed in that it's bookended with with the sheriff Bell. He's the he's the he's the narrator and it's being almost being told through his wisdom at the yeah. end, you know, through his retrospective, but he's not present for a lot of the movie. And like, so like, how does he know what's happening? You know? Yeah. And so, so is it, I would say it's kind of like what we talked about with a fish called wand of not a fish called Wanda Um with the witch where it sometimes seems like there's a shifting protagonist. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I guess it has to be Bell, but I mean, like as a viewer, you feel like it's it's uh, Llewellyn Moss, you know? yeah, Llewellyn Moss, you, yeah. Like as a viewer, you feel like Llewellyn. It could be, I mean, it could be Chigurh. You know, like there's a, a an argument to be made that it's Chigurh. But, I think but, if we're if we're talking about in the classical
0: sense of protagonist, as in driving the action,
1: yeah. I
0: think it has to be Moss. It has to be Llewellyn because they are the ones that are making choices that affect what everybody else is interact, how everyone else is interacting in the story.
1: Yeah. So like
0: Llewellyn's choice to take the money, Llewellyn's choice to go back to the, the scene to get water for the, for the drug uh, runner.
1: No good deed goes unpunished.
0: Llewellyn's, Llewellyn's choice to, to go on the run, uh, you know, and ultimately, you know, Llewellyn's choice to, you know, have an opportunity to, uh, give the money away and sa- potentially save his life. Uh, chooses well, not bit, to.
1: I, I don't know. Like that. Well, no, that's no, the whole no. point. Is
0: is uh, Woody Harrelson's character is like basically like you're dead. Like he's gonna kill you for inconveniencing him. So, but you can maybe save.
1: Yeah.
0: Other people, yeah. other collateral damage.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But but you know what I mean? Like he makes that choice not to. You know. So, yeah. I, I, in the traditional sense of protagonist, I would say moss Llewellyn moss is the protagonist but you're right there's an argument that could be made that like things that are actually pushing things forward is sugar you know his presence is pushing things forward because everybody's responding to the way that he pursues them
1: yeah um and and like i said
0: bell books and bells bell is the the framing device so it's hard to take him out of it, and he's the if you want to talk about like with the title, with the title, and we can get into a little bit of like analysis of theme. The title "No Country for Old Men" that is all from Bell's perspective. That is sure. something that Bell's going through. That is a, a specifically a, a Bell revelation. Yeah. So it's hard to say, uh, but I did really like this movie. You're absolutely right. Super, super violent. Very violent. And it's uniquely
1: violent. It's not yeah. like. It's not like gory violent. It's like viscerally like whoa, did that yeah. just happen violent. Yeah. Like the the whole
0: cattle cattle gun thing, like that is insane. Yeah. Like the way that thing works and oh my gosh. Oh yeah, oh, it's
1: we we should we should get we should go through our structures because I, I we we're going to want to I think we're already like devolving into free – Free conversation. Okay. This, so. okay. Uh,
0: let's talk about how this film came to be. So, the film of this, the actual uh, screenplay, uh, and the film was directed and written by the Cohen brothers, Joel and Ethan Cohen, who I'm sure you guys know, but uh, here is a list of some of their many movies, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, The Man Who Wasn't There, Burn After Reading, True Grit, Inside Llewyn Davis, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and The Tragedy of Macbeth, among many other films. So that is who wrote and directed the screenplay and the film. But this film is based on a novel written by Cormac McCarthy, who is a very acclaimed writer. Uh, he wrote things like The Orchard Keeper, Outer Dark, Child Go, Go- uh, ooh, I wrote that wrong, but uh, Suttree, Blood Meridian, and The Evening Redness of the West all the Pretty Horses, The Crossing, Cities of the Plain, The Road, The Passenger, Stella Morris, as well as the screenplays of The Gardener's Son and 2013's The Counselor. So very accomplished writer. Um, so how did this film come to be? How did it get made? Well, the Coleman brothers were developing another script based on another novel uh, when they were brought this novel by producer Scott Rudin, um, infamous problematic producer scott rudin brought them the novel no country for old man and thought they would be amazing directors for this film uh and they read it and they immediately were like yeah we we really want to do this this movie so they got to work writing it um they stayed very faithful to the novel they as far as the plot goes they completely kept it almost the same they even like took m- much of the dialogue that's in the film Oh, sorry, in the novel and used it for the film to the point where they actually were cutting dialogue to make their film less dialogue heavy than the novel, which is, I think, a rare oh. thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so they ended up directing this movie and they got nominated. This film got nominated for eight Oscars and won four. Wow. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay which is crazy. So, and I think they, I think they said this is one of the first times that a duo has ever won a best director Oscar, something like that, Huh. which is crazy Uh, because uh, typically duos don't get nominated for, for Oscars because Uh. there's a, there's a rule about like sharing, sharing credit, you know, for, for the award kind of thing. Where
1: Where do you draw the line?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like, the, the the Academy has a rule about like established duos are okay. So like the Cohen brothers, the Luchowskis, like they would probably could be nominated together, but it's very rare. Yeah. Um so and the Coens are I mean one of the most nominated Oscar nominated duos there are. Um so very critically acclaimed. Um so yeah, this film is very interesting. Things like – it was very made in a very interesting way. Things like there's only about 16 minutes of music in this movie. It's, like, hmm. very quiet. Yeah. And uh, uh, most of the uh, sound design is d- very diegetic. So it's very, like, matches what you're seeing on screen as far as, like, you know, sounds and stuff like that. There's only, like, a few min- minutes of music throughout the entire thing. Um, and let's see. Sorry, going through my notes. They got all shuffled somehow, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, So, oh, this is something very interesting that I just wanted to throw out there. So in the novel version, Sheriff Bell mentions that Shagur had killed a federal judge about a year prior in San Antonio. So this film takes place in, the 19, in 1980. And in real life in 1979, an actual federal judge was murdered in San Antonio, by a hitman named Charles Harrelson, who happens oh. to be Woody Harrelson's father.
1: Oh wow. And then he's in the movie. It, he's
0: in the movie, yeah.
1: Wow. And he gets killed
0: by he gets killed by someone who allegedly killed like somebody that represents his, his dad.
1: That's crazy. I didn't know Woody Harrelson's dad was a hitman. I That's didn't know wild. that either. That's
0: why I brought it up. Because I was like, what? <laughs>
1: That's insane. So huh. Maybe he's. Uh, I mean, it's I think he, maybe he's playing his father.
0: No, so so Shagger is is so in the novel Sheriff Bell talks about this hitman, which is who Shagger had killed a federal judge a year prior in okay. San Antonio. So Shagger is playing a version of like what Woody Harrelson's father did. Okay. I don't think it's like a one to one ratio, well,
1: right? I feel like yeah, I it's feel just like, a, like it's just
0: like a wink and a nod yeah 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 uh and and, but again this book was written two years before this movie was made um so uh you know so there's no way that Cormac McCarthy would have known that Woody Harrelson would be in this movie he just happened to casually reference Woody Harrelson's dad it's wild crazy crazy I just I never knew that either and I was like whoa is this like public knowledge does everybody know this it's it has he it has his own Wikipedia page. Apparently, it's at least known to some people. Yeah, crazy. I that is wild. Um. Yeah, but so Scott Rudin brought basically brought this book in, before it was fully even published. It brought it in what's called galley form, so that's like the 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 stage before it's like actually published. Uh, shared it with them, uh, and they took it and ran with it. They wrote it pretty quickly, and it was in production in two thousand and six. Uh, and then came out in 2007 at Cannes, premiered at Cannes in May of 2007. Uh, and he, obviously super critically acclaimed, financially successful. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how it came to be. I mean, it's it's definitely still in pop culture. I would say Shiger is probably one of the most iconic characters, at least maybe not like his name, but his, his image, I would yeah. say, is like one of the most iconic characters. Antagonists in the last 20 30 years
1: it, well and it's one of those it's one of those characters that like once you've seen that person as that character it's really hard to dissociate them mm-hmm. from that character you know like in my head javier bardem will always be sugar you know what i mean yeah it's just such a it's like i mean honestly it's like it's on this it's kind of the same tier as heath letter's joker you know mm-hmm. Like it's just so – it's so powerful and imprinting that you're going to have to do something – you're going to have to do a a major retcon to get (laughs) out of that hole. You know, like –
0: Speaking of Heath Ledger, this is something interesting. So Heath Ledger also uh, was in talks to potentially play Shiger, but turned it down because he wanted to take some time off. Wow! Uh, Take a break, and then he would end up taking the role of the Joker not too long after. That's
1: crazy. So there you go. I mean, I don't think Heath Ledger would have been a good choice for this. It doesn't make sense.
0: People said the same thing about him and Joker.
1: Well, but Joker, like, but Heath Ledger's white, and I think it's more powerful. I think Javier Bardem being like a Latino, I think that I think it works way better that is
0: interesting well set. it's funny it's really funny it Was the cohen brothers came to bardem and asked him to like play this role and he's like guys like i'm i you know i don't speak english very well and i i don't i don't drive i don't speak english well and i don't like violence and they said you're perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you know yeah it, it, the fact that that sugar like does kind of have like a an accent and like a broken, a slightly broken English. Yeah. Gives him a more unsettling like mystique. Like, well, Oh, it, you're from, you're a little bit more strange.
1: It feels like more connected to the cartel to me. Mm-hmm. Like it feels more. Well, that's the thing too. is like, do,
0: how much do we know about sugar? Like what, what do we learn about sugar? We don't, in this? We, don't learn a,
1: we don't learn a lot. It, that that's one of the things I tried to like backtrack and look at last night. Uh, after I finished the movie, I like, I like skip, like, I just kind of like fast forwarded to like parts mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, where do we get actual information about this guy? And you don't really get much. First of all, you don't even know what he's arrested for initially. No. Like, like how did he get arrested? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like you, the, the the hardest part to follow with his storyline is how does he know where these guys are going to be with this drug deal happened? Mm-hmm. Like um, the the guys that work for the Texas city folk, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? The the guy that that hires Woody Harrelson's character, mm-hmm. they have two guys in the desert, because it's their deal that went bad with the Mexican cartel, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were trying to buy Drugs from the Mexican cartel, and they were putting a tracker on the money. Mm -hmm. So they had the receiver, which is how Harvey Javier Bardem's character gets the receiver. Mm -hmm. But why does he shoot them? How does he find them? How does he know it's going down? Mm -hmm. This this investigation, like, so is he like a double agent with these guys? Is that what what the situation is? And he's just going to take the money for himself, or is he like actually working for the cartel? And like. Yeah, it's it's confusing. It, the the his whole storyline is very confusing.
0: Those are all excellent questions, Seth, but those aren't the question. That's true. So let's ask the question. But before we ask the question, let's what is this movie? What is it? Well, this is the plot. What is it? Violence and mayhem ensue after a hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong and more than $2 million in cash near the Rio Grande. Thank you, IMDb. So, Seth, what's it about?
1: Man, it's not easy. Like I said, this one's not easy. Uh, The closest thing I can kind of pull out of it I mean, I kind of like, I I even cheated. I even like went to Wikipedia and started reading like other people's interpretations of the themes, which Mm -hmm. I don't normally, I don't normally do. Like Mm -hmm. I usually go from my gut, but like this Mm -hmm. one's, this one's, cause there's an emotional tone that you can feel is saying something that you've never heard before. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, as you watch the movie and as it ends, there's like, there's like an ethereal feeling or tone that you can't, really wrap your your brain around you know it's something it's a theme Mm. that is that you know is a theme, but it's not it's not as tangible as as other films Mm. I, i think i think the best thing i've i've come up with to to name it is it's the sorrow in wisdom like it's the sadness that comes with wisdom that mm-hmm. this movie is talking about. Like the more you know, the sadder you're going to be. Um and but in relation to like Ed Bell, you know, it's like he's really the best man for the job, but he's so he's so worn down by the world that he doesn't want to do it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it, it it always everything makes an impression everything makes an impression and that's what the impressions teach you things, but they also wear you down. And like I said, I don't think it's just about that. There's a lot more going on too, but like, mm. that's like the ma- biggest macro. The If I had to pick a major theme, it's, it's the, the, maybe not sorrow is not the word, the weight, the weight mm-hmm. of wisdom. Um, mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh no! I definitely I think, think there's something to that, and it, yeah, the, I'm sure, tr- yeah, this film is so hard to pin down as far as like what, like a, you can't really be concrete with it. It is very much almost like ethereal in a lot of ways as far as what it is thematically. Um, so for me, I just kind of have to go back to the title. And to that opening monologue that that Bell has, and even like a little bit of like his his ending mo- monologue about his, the dream he had about his father. And it, 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 for me, it's like this idea that like the world moves forward, and it does not stop for anybody. Yeah. And and eventually, you will be left behind. Yeah. Like like, the eventually, you know, it's not that there is no country for old men. It's just that you grow, up like you, the world moves faster than you can. Right. Like eventually it just, it, 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 just leaves you. You were there. And I feel like that a lot of times, like, like as you get older, like people like always make fun of like that joke of like, Oh, like old people don't know, you know, the music, or don't like the music or they don't get what pop culture is. It, it's not that they don't know it or that they don't like it necessarily. It's just that it's, it's, it's evolved to a point where you don't – it's just not what you know. You know? Like I love rap music for sure. Like I love rap music, but I'm not as much into like rap music these days, and I feel old for saying that, but it's because rap music has changed so much from when I grew up listening to rap music to where it is now. It's not the same, and I don't like it as much. And Is that me being old or is that just me – is that me being rigid or is that just me not liking the way something has evolved? And And Bell really hits it on the head where he talks about like the evils of the world. He's like, I don't know if like evils are like getting worse or if I'm just getting
1: less able to like understand and tolerate them. I don't know why, but I just thought of this. I, this is weird. But it's like, it's like he's, it's like he's already dead and the sad stuff just keeps happening.
0: Mm hmm. Well, that's you know. this idea of like he he, you know he wants he's getting ready to retire. The whole thing is like it's that old classic like western cop trope of like oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm about to retire. He got one last big case and then I'm gonna yeah. retire. And I like that this film subverts that with like he doesn't like solve the big case and he you know he, you know he just kind of is like okay like I I can't really do anything about this and yeah. I, I I'm
1: done. Um, but he you're does, right like that, he does a lot. I mean he does. He's he kind of solves it ha- like.
0: Oh, he does. He solves it before yeah. almost anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just is too slow.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: To do anything about well, and, it.
1: Well, and he knows that he has to do it a certain way, so it's right. not like his to- approach works. Yeah. It just is slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, I mean, you're right. Like there is an idea of like death, death being this thing that we're all actually marching towards, right? I, there's a couple of, of, of hints to that. Like we're all going to this, we're all moving to the same place. Um, yeah. And I, I really like that last little monologue that, uh, that Tommy Lee Jones has the bell has where he's talking about his dream about his dad yeah. he and his dad are riding horses through the mountains. It's cold. And his father rides ahead Yeah. to set up a fire. And he's like, I don't know how far he'll go. And I don't know how long it's going to take me to get there, but I know when I get there, he'll have a fire oh. waiting for me yeah you know it's this idea of like my dad passed he's di- he's gone he died before me long before me he went and he'll be there to meet me when i die you know like when i get to that point because we're all gonna get there
1: it's uh, it's the only touch of hope really at the end well it's like... it's
0: a yeah it's it's not a sad look at death it's like a it is a more optimistic look at I'm not optimistic per se but just a, you're right a slightly more positive spin on the fact that we are, we're all human and we're all, and the world is random and, and violent and yet at the end of it all we all come to a meeting in the same place
1: you know yeah I, I those two dreams at the end I, I think you could pick apart a while um, it reminded I, me of you a little bit well the this is why I said what I said was weird is because what I just said, the the, it's like you're already dead and the sad things just keep on. Ha- was a dream I had last night that came really from my dream last, like I woke up to that. And so maybe my brain was trying to process this movie or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I really relate to like dream analysis and interpretation. And uh, yeah, I mean, when, I think, as a cop you have to you're trying to believe in like some sort of greater good right mm-hmm. and I think as a cop, you're hoping like, oh, I'm going to see an impact from my actions you know mm-hmm. because I have pursued good like God like like he says in the movie God's gonna show up later in my life and I'm gonna see the impact of of all the good I've done and I mean that's not Tommy Lee's case, you know. He's even mm-hmm. saying like,
0: "Well, yeah, he says I don't blame God for not yeah, showing up." Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you know, my analysis of myself is I wouldn't show up for me either. Yeah, which is very sad. Yeah, and we don't we, see anything that would indicate why, why that, that is. We don't like, see what that. Apparently, in the novel, again, this is this is something that they didn't really touch on as much, and if they did, it was very brief in the movie. Apparently, Bell and his wife had had a daughter that had passed away prematurely, so maybe he went through some dark times there. Yeah. Um, it's not un- it's unclear.
1: Well, I mean, if you're a cop, I mean, we know now more than ever, it's a very complicated line to walk, you know? Like, you're on both mm-hmm. sides of the law a lot, and and knowing which is the right is difficult. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure he has judgments about... The choices he's made, you know, like so. But anyway, well,
0: I think you bring up a good point. This film, this film, definitely dives into morality a lot, you know, especially when it comes to sugar. So sugar has a morality, has a philosophy.
1: At the very least, he's a moral code. code. He's a code, and it's but it's very harsh. Well, I think I mean honestly. I think Sugar is like literally on the spectrum. Like I think that he is like autistic or Asperger's or something like, and he is just fixated on his job, right? Really? Like he's fixated on his, uh, is part of his code, you know? And it's, it's very much like, he has to do it this way or because he's created these rules for himself and he's incapable if he does, it's like OCD or something like Mm -hmm. he, he's not able to not do it that way. And that's why he is so, he's so, uh, relentless in his pursuit is because it's part of his like psychological makeup that he has to Mm. be that way. Uh,
0: apparently, uh, they, they did a, like a, a write-up, an article about like analyzing characters, uh, who have like psychopathies, yeah. um, who are sociopaths or psychopaths. Uh, and, uh, they said that they labeled Sugar as the number one representation of a character with that is a psychopath. Okay. So yeah. he def- definitely is not, not fully there or he is fully there. There's something else going on there for sure. Um, yeah. But there's some interesting things. You're right. There are some weird OCD or like tendencies because like there's like obviously like the, like the morality with like the coin of like this idea of like things move through the world that just kind of randomly and they they come to a a, a place and uh, this idea of chance. There's a couple idea. There's a couple of times where there's chance. Right. There's there's the coin with the gas station attendant. Then there's when Shigure shows up at the Regal Inn, when he when we're using the tracker to find Llewellyn, you know, one of two rooms that Llewellyn could be in, yeah. picks picks the wrong one, you know. Yeah. He picks the one that the Mexicans are in, uh, and then happens again later with with Bell when Bell goes back to the crime scene where Llewellyn was killed. There's two doors that he could go in, and he yeah. picks one and Shigar is in the other. Yeah, you know. So like there's this idea of 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 50-50 a lot. There's this well, idea of like a 50-50 chance.
1: It I think that we we've touched a lot of uh, a lot on this in the the Dark Knight podcast. I mean, there is a level of both Joker and Two-Face to Shigar. Mm-hmm. You know, like they both kind of operate in the same world, in the same realms of philosophy, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that Shiger is motivated by his belief in chaos. So like so some of the some of the Wikipedia stuff that I was reading was talking about the difference between like fate and uh, free will, right? Mm-hmm. And like I, I can see what they mean. Um it, it's just like sugar is he doesn't believe that it, it, anything matters so mm-hmm. he's just moving through the world how he he knows that there's his his actions have no consequence he and the coin got there the same the same way mm-hmm. you know so he's like almost like abandoned all 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 reason all all sense of rules not unlike the Joker, you know, mm. um, because of this nihilistic perspective, mm. and, um, uh, but, but he even is bound by his own rules. You know what I mean?
0: Well, what's interesting here is like, I would agree with you ex- on the chaos thing, except he, he had he's very rigid, in the, like like for example. Sugar has this aversion to blood. He doesn't like to get blood on him. I and mean, the times that we see him get blood on him, he like like when okay, so the first scene when he when he kills the cop with the with the handcuffs, yeah. he immediately goes to wash his hands. He has to get the blood off him. Yeah. And then we see him kill the, the Mexicans in the hotel room. Yeah. And then he gets you know, gets uh, blood on his socks and he immediately takes off his socks. Yeah. He he closes the shower curtain so he doesn't get blood splatter on him when he shoots the guy in the shower uh when he kills Woody Harrelson's character and the blood's coming towards his shoes he lifts up his feet to not get blood on his shoes and and then well, I think so like, thats we we do see him a constant aversion to getting blood on him
1: right I think okay so I think we can break it down a little further in that man has a desire for order or law right mm-hmm so, like, n- man's natural tendency is to find order, create order, and create law, essentially. Create Ooh. rules. I don't think that Javier Bardem is above that, right? Like, I think Javier Bardem's character, Trigger is also a man who has to have rules, but he's a man who sees the, the tragedy of the way the universe works mm-hmm. and knows that those rules are pointless, but doesn't, but is incapable. It's almost like it, it comes out in other ways because he's try he's denying society's, society's rules, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think that, I think that's the, the consume, the sadness, the, con- the consuming fire of, ed bell's character is he also realizes that oh shit like there's no there's it's just gonna keep happening you know like Mm -hmm. this chaos this chaos is still coming it's never like so it's like it's almost like um javier bardin becomes a conduit for a, a physical representation of this thing that's still coming you know, I—I mm-hmm. um, I mean, he, hes hes a good representation of the devil if I ever saw one. Mm-hmm. You know, like super good representation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's just out of the I, desert, just suddenly. Yeah. You know,
0: <laughs> it is so interesting because you're right. We uh, when we touched on this earlier, we don't ever really get a clear indication of why Sugar wants this money like yeah. like so this is what we know this is what we know let's like break it down this is what we know about sugar he's a he's a hitman he's definitely trained he knows what he's doing he's been doing it a while enough to the point where people can hi- know to hire him because he's yeah. so good so he's got a reputation he was hired by this mysterious group we don't really know who they are but he was hired to basically kill these mexicans and get this money right
1: yeah yeah it's probably cia it
0: get get back this money yeah <laughs> he, he was sent to get back this money uh it, and i guess they they also then like didn't didn't think that he could do it or something like that and they also hired some other people to do to help and that that pissed him off and so he goes like rogue or was that's, he going to go rogue the that,
1: whole time? So that's that's where it gets really confusing. It's like how does he know where to get? How does he know to meet these guys? At said, location? I'm assuming
0: he was told told to meet them.
1: Yeah, so he was on his way to meet them initially. That's what
0: I'm. That's what I think is yes. I think okay. he was. I think he got pulled over for like maybe speeding or for something. You know, whatever. We don't really know, but he got pulled over and arrested. Maybe it was a stolen car or something that makes sense. Maybe, well, maybe no, they, you know, they, he's, they, he's been shown to to he's been shown to constantly change vehicles by, and yeah. kill people and s- steal their cars. So probably that's a stolen car. Yeah. So I bet he was pulled over for for a, a car that was purported stolen.
1: Yeah. And he's um, and then so he he eventually makes it to the place he was told to go initially. Yes. So, but that means that okay. So that means the The shootout that happened, they knew it was going to happen. Like, like this is this is where it's confusing. Is like the timeline is confusing. With with why? Oh, he's you know, going.
0: Oh, you know what? What maybe happened was he was going, he was going to. Because that shootout had to have happened fairly recently. Because that dog yeah. is is yeah. just leaving when Llewellyn goes there
1: and the dude so, is yeah that had just happened that had happened like right before Llewellyn was there
0: so maybe what happened was Shiger got pulled over and arrested and so they called in someone else they called in other people to help him basically and then he gets out like he escapes from from jail calls and it's like okay like and you know calls and checks in and they like, they're like oh we now we called someone to help you and that pisses him off
1: yeah I don't know I don't know. It's
0: it's unclear. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. And I don't know why he wants this money so bad. He doesn't really seem to need it.
1: It's almost like, I mean, I think that It's a it's a
0: principle. He's a man yeah. of like you said he's a code. He was screwed over by the CIA or whoever, this organization. And so Yeah. But for as penance, he gets their money.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It's and and then okay, so and then At the end, like, so first of all, one of the like biggest discomforts in this film is is the shift from Llewellyn to uh, Ed Tom because we we have followed Llewellyn this whole time. Yeah, that's pretty jarring. And then we don't even get to see him die. Of his yeah. death, so yeah. it's like i mean i think that's intentional in that like like that's how it works for these cops you know like mm-hmm. you you follow this story and then it's just over you know and mm-hmm. you weren't even there for it and
0: well that's like the whole thing of like the world is moving up, moving around yeah. you faster yeah. than you can move yeah like and i think that's i think that's so demonstrated so well in this idea of like there's so many moving parts there's the sugar there's, Chigurh, there's there's Moss, there's Bell, and there's the the Mexican cartel. They're all, and we don't get to check in with most of them, like especially the cartel. We have no idea how they how they came to be at the Regal Motel. Like, how did they get there? How did they know that Bell was around that area? Does Moss was around that area? How
1: well, that, that that's what's confusing. Like, who killed him? That's what I I'm. Oh, the like, the
0: Mexicans did.
1: Yeah, the Mexican cartel. The cartel. Are they, are they connected to Javier Bardet? I don't think so. Okay. Because so
0: because I think they're operating on their own. Yeah. So because because you see, uh, Car- Carla Jean, Carla-, yeah, Carla, Jean, and her mom getting ready to go to El Paso, um, you and the cartel is watching them, and he gets information about where. Yeah moss is supposed to be
1: but how did they and they
0: and they they called their friends Said go to el paso and kill this guy before they get before he leaves
1: i think but this is what is well everybody knows
0: where carla is because everybody knows where her mom lives like there's so many public records that they can figure that out so every and bardem know you know chigurh knows where they are like uh, uh harrelson's character knows where they where where carla is everybody knows where she is it's yeah. so not secret. It was such a dumb idea to send her there. It's so obvious that she would be there. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Like 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 so like everybody knows where she is. So everybody's watching her because everybody knows that he's going to come and get her at some point or he's yeah. going to contact her. So like they're just all waiting. Yeah. And so the the cartel was like, "Okay, as soon as they move, we we find out where he is." Yeah. And and then they'll they'll have people that are ready to go and get and strike.
1: Yeah. I it <laughs> There are a lot of like loose ends that I want filled, you know. But maybe that's part of it, you know. Like maybe yeah. that's.
0: I definitely don't think Shiger's connected, or at least not working with the cartel because he kills a bunch of them at the Regal, the yeah. Regal Motel, for no re. Yeah. You know, for no reason. He just jumps in there and kills them. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it. But I, I think it is. It, it's all about this idea of like we, we don't. Everybody, all these pieces are moving constantly. And we don't get to see how they're moving. We're sticking with the perspective of one to two people at most. Yeah. And while we're on in their perspective, we don't know how the other pieces are moving. And like I think it's very well demonstrated in these these like slow fades that this movie does. Instead of like other types of transitions, it'll fade to black and then it'll re and it'll refade back in and we'll be with somebody else and somewhere we don't expect. You know, and it, it's because okay, we're with this person now so we can see what their perspective is. But as soon as we leave their perspective, things are moving. Things yeah. are moving forward here and you don't get to see it. You get to see it when this character comes in and yeah. and, re, re, and reintroduces into the story. And so it is all these pieces just moving forward and and the, the world moves forward. And I think we just see the violence and we see the, you said the chaos. It seems like chaos to us because we can't see how everything's working together. But when we're not, like when we're focused on the this is this is what it is I'm rambling a little bit I'm doing what you usually do because I'm trying to figure work this thing out because like yeah. I said I I did not come into this podcast with a very clear idea of what I thought this movie was about because it is very complicated. So when we're with a particular character, we're seeing the logic of how step one gets to step two to gets to step three for them, right? Yeah. yeah. But we and then another person will come in suddenly like oh how did. How did Sugar find uh, Llewellyn at the Eagle at the Eagle Hotel? Yeah, we don't know. He just did. Um, how did this person find this person here? How did this person find this person here? You know what I mean? Um, we don't get to see those things and so it feels like chaos. It feels like ra- it feels random it feels out of nowhere because we didn't see how point A got to point B. but when we're with a particular character, we do see. How things connect together. Yeah. But they don't get to see how everything else is. So it feels like chaos. But everything is actually moving very logically to a point.
1: Well, and and maybe that's the fire. Maybe that's the fire, you know, like, mm-hmm. that his dad has set out for him. You know, is that mm-hmm. just like this movie, you can't see the... It's It's dark. Yeah, you can't, see. you can't see all the working pieces. You have to just hope that there is a point to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we do start to see some like synchronicity at the end, um, where even uh, Chigurh is kind of learning lessons, you know,
0: when he where, gets hit by a car.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and and I think uh, I, I, and I think uh, Carla, what's her name? Uh, Carla life, Jean. Carla Jean. I think Carla Jean teaches him a lesson, you know, like she Mm -hmm. does not let him, but she doesn't play his game. Mm -hmm. She's like, she's like, no, I will not call it. I'm not going to call it. You know, you, it's up Mm -hmm. to you. It's not up to some coin, which Mm -hmm. is a, I think a major, like, like, no, you do have agency, you know, Mm -hmm. like.
0: You're not just being pulled up, pulled, pulled through the world. Like you do make choices.
1: Yeah. It's
0: not out of your control.
1: So like that's a that's a win for the cops, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and then so he made a choice, which was I was to so cool. say,
0: yeah. yeah As to say, you th- you you are you do you feel like he killed her?
1: Oh yeah, she's dead. Honestly. I feel
0: like it's very clear. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but some
0: people would argue no, but I think it's it's pretty well implied.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if he's following his rules, she's dead and. I think, I think, uh, I, I mean, I love the parallel between the story with uh, Chigurh and the steer, which Mm -hmm. so like, uh, because it's it's it's, it parallels. So Carla Jean is talking to Ed Bell, and Ed Bell's, you know, about Johnny old Johnny Charleston up in, uh," and she's like, no, and he's like. Yeah, he had a, a a pistol and he shot he shot this steer in the head, and this the, the the bullet ricocheted off the steer's sternum or something and bounced up and hit him in the shoulder. And to this day, he can't pick up his hat. He can't mm-hmm. use his right hand to pick up his hat.
0: Yeah, he can't use his arm to lift, yeah, lift yeah. his hat.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's like, uh, he's like, the point is, the point is. Even in the contest of man and beast, nothing is certain, and and I think that's like meant to parallel with what happens with uh, with Chigurh at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Like he goes to put this girl down, which should be just like you know, mm-hmm. like no easy problem. for him, easy. yeah,
0: yeah no, and, no no fight whatsoever, yeah. like not like anybody else that he he's gone up and
1: against. he's following all he's following all his rules, he's even fo- following society's rules because he's driving on a street at the speed limit going through a green light mm. and then he's just boom you know like mm. and then it's like justice is served in a weird way mm-hmm. and he's broken his arm and it's like a really bad break and uh, yeah he lives he gets out of there but like he probably he's got won.
0: no yeah he's got no money he's got yeah, yeah. nothing
1: yeah so it's interesting and I think it's, oh. I think.
0: Go ahead. No, I was just saying, it, and to go along with this idea of like, even something that seems like chaos is actually, you can you can mark the points because what is a ricochet, right? A Ricochet is the trajectory of something hitting something, causing it to hit something else, causing it to hit yeah. something else. So you can actually follow that actual path to path point. While it yeah. may seem random, it's actually very mathematical, in a yeah. in a certain way, you know. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's chaos. You never know. It's like, yeah, but is it, you know, which I guess goes to this idea of like like predetermined fate and and free will. Like, is it all predetermined?
1: Well, I think, and so I guess if we finally spill into like personal, Mm -hmm. this one's so hard to pick apart. It's like, it's like, how do you express your own feelings, I guess. But Mm -hmm. like for me, I think it's, I think it's both at the same time. I -hmm. think, uh, I think it's up to you to, I I, I don't know. I I, I have this working theory that we live in two simultaneous universes. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And one is with order and one is without order. And your life is just kind of the compromise between the two and what you acknowledge and choose to look at, you know, Mm -hmm. because there's like, this duality within all of us and it's like depending on which angle you look at somebody you could see good and evil in in them either way Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and so like for me the the point is is that i think in a way we're supposed to learn we're supposed to learn that to a degree right like we're supposed Mm -hmm. to learn that that you are both good and evil and that good and evil is subjective depending on the perspective, mm. right? And so there needs to be something outside, I think, of that system. Um, I, I don't know. Like, like it, it, it was weird. So, so I don't know why I'm, I'm going back to this, but when he's telling that story, he he kind of like almost figure shit out, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, it's like, he's so, he's so old and he's like, got this wisdom. Right. And he lets his mind wander. You know, he even mm-hmm. says, he even says, my mind wanders like afterwards. Mm-hmm. And he's like talking about the, the murder weapon. Like he's, mm-hmm. he is pulling from the ether. hmm. The use of the mur- the murder weapon, which is this mm-hmm.
0: product. And what's nice is he never actually is like, oh, that's it. Like he just he never actually yeah. says it. He just yeah. his mind just kind of makes the connection. He goes, oh, <laughs> okay. And he never says it to anybody else. But that's, oh. you just know he just you're right. He just know he's 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 got it, or at yeah. least he's onto it. Yeah. Or- he does this. He does a similar thing where he talks about the the couple in California who rent out their place to, to elderly people to live. Right. Yeah. And then they murdered them. They tortured them and murder them and bury them in their backyard. He's like, they only got caught because a, a naked man came running out of the house wearing nothing but a dog collar. He's like, the neighbors noticed that they didn't <laughs> notice people digging graves in the backyard.
1: Yeah. 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 You know?
0: it, it is this like confluence of events, but when you when you dial into it you can see how point a connects to point B yeah
1: you know and I, I mean personally I struggle I struggle with I struggle with what this movie's talking about a lot you know mm-hmm. like what's the point you know like what's the point of doing anything you know mm-hmm. like the older I get the more I'm like man it's just too much you know like there's just like it's uh what why why like you know
0: yeah i mean i think very uh, and to get very real for a second like i think we specifically maybe like right now a lot of people are feeling this idea of like the why's especially because we just had that you know, again, just to get real, and this may be triggering, but um, we just had that school shooting, the elementary yeah. school shooting. Night, yeah. You know, 19 people were killed. Um, it's the largest mass shooting in the elementary school since Sandy Hooks, which I remember when that happened was super traumatizing for me. Yeah. Because I, I was working in preschools at that time and in an elementary school. Um, so that was really tough. Um, and so I think we, and we all, every time something like this happens, we ask that question of why, you know, why did, why does this happen? Why these people, why can't we do something about it? Why don't we do something about it? What can there be to do about it? it is this? It feels so unfair and random, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think, like, for me, like, every time something like that happens, you you feel a sense of helplessness. And, and I don't know about you, but it's like, what you like, right. Like, what are we living for? Like, what, why are we in this world that does this kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. And if there's a, if there's a God, why does he keep letting it happen? You know? Mm -hmm. And like, and it makes you question whether or not there is a God, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and if there's no God, then really where like, then this is just all nothing. This is just a void. <laughs>
0: it, oh. Yeah. And and it, it's this idea of like no no rest for the weary, right? Like yeah. like you yeah. said wisdom wisdom is heavy. The weight yeah. of wisdom. Like the more you move through this world, the more you learn about it, and the harder it is to carry that weight. You know, we're only in our 30s and we yeah. already like feel sometimes when things like this happen or, you know, we're like God, like, what the, what the fuck are we even doing? Like, why move? Keep moving forward. Yeah. When this is like all, it's just gonna keep. It's not even that things are getting worse. You know what I mean? It's because like I think like people think that oh things are worse now than they have been. It's like there are some pretty horrific things that happened in the past. Yeah. We just weren't there for those. We know about them, but we don't have the wisdom of living through them.
1: And we don't have a front, like a, like a. We we can we get to see everything. You know, like mm-hmm. now with the internet, like there's nothing that happens that isn't recorded and, and mm-hmm. re- a story written about. So it's like, we are so bombarded with information that there's really no escaping the sorrow, you know, mm-hmm. like these kids, like our kid, like kids are going to be like, by the time they're 10 years old, the shit they're going to know, you know, like, mm-hmm it's wild it's wild yeah. to me
0: i mean cuz like i i when i was in elementary school i don't remember doing active shooter training when i was in elementary school i remember doing it maybe when i got to like to maybe like junior high age in high school like i remember it then cuz i was like post columbine yeah um, uh, but before that no I, but i'm sure these days at least when i worked in the pre, when i worked in the preschool when i was in college they did active shooter training with, and they were the preschoolers. Yeah. They taught these, they taught preschoolers how to behave in, in the, in the, in the event of an active shooter in the school. Like it was, and then like I said, and then the Sandy Hooks thing happened. And I was like, like, this is like r- real, you know, yeah. like, and, and again, I don't think like the world is getting more evil. I just think it's, it's just piling on, you know, like each time you, you live through one of these types of scenarios, It's just another block on your back, Yeah, you know, how, how much sorrow and how much tragedy can you shoulder before you, the world leaves you behind and you just, you step back and let it move past you, you retire, you know, you, you leave law enforcement, you retire and you say, I'm done with this. I'm just going to let everything move away from me. Uh, and wait to die basically not that that's like what people that are retiring are doing but you know what i mean like there is this idea especially maybe especially with like older law enforcement people it's like this is just too much and i think social workers experience this too i know a lot of people who work in social work over time are like this is just too much and i can't do this anymore yeah it it, it, it you know it's a lot um and uh,
1: well i i think something you just said I mean, I think that's the way that um, Ed Bell feels. But isn't it interesting that he's technically kinda off the clock when he discovers Llewellyn's body? Like mm-hmm. uh, like he can't radio the police. He's like, Call the police. Call mm-hmm. the police.
0: Right. Well, yeah, he's out of his jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah,
1: but that but when you're retired, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. Like so this is gonna be an interesting transition um but i just saw the Nicolas cage movie recently okay um and there's like a theme in that movie that i think is like what you can apply to what we're talking about today and that is if you have something that you can do it's your duty to do it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like if you if you have a gift it's your gift to it, share is your, it's your, it's, you are beholden to share it. So, so like, even though Ed Bell's retiring, he's not actually retiring, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He may not have, you know, be getting paid to do it anymore, but he can still pull from the ether. Like, I mean, not m- much unlike he goes and sees that guy, you know what I mean? The old timer up in the, mm-hmm. you know, like it's that dude's job to talk to him. You know, it's that ju- dude's job. Like, they're still, you're still in it. There's something you're. There's something that you have to offer that mm-hmm. is, is being. I don't know. Is helping this giant cog.
0: Well, no. I mean, you make a, an interesting point because a lot of the times when when Bell makes a, a revelation, has a revelation, or makes a discovery of some point, oftentimes it's when it's, it's leisure time. You know, yeah. when he's at breakfast, reading the yeah. paper, when he's. Yeah. Just me, you know, Just meeting somebody for coffee. It's it's yeah. that's when he makes his connections, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, I just this this film, I think, yeah. And I want to pull up this opening monologue because I think that's where like the really the core of this movie. And the, maybe not like I don't think this movie gives us an answer. And I think that that's that's good thing. Yeah. I don't think this movie gives us a definitive like this is this is this is what I'm saying. I think it's presenting a question. And it's yeah. allowing us to feel how you know discern how we feel about it. So this is this is uh, the opening monologue, and I, I trimmed it a little bit so it's not quite as long, but it is a little bit lengthy. So I apologize. Um, <clears throat> Some of the old time sheriffs never wore a gun. A lot of folks find that hard to believe. I always like to hear about the old timers. You can't help but compare yourself to against the old timers. Can't help but wonder how they would have operated in these times. There was this boy I sent to Huntsville here a while back. My arrest and my testimony. He killed a 14-year-old girl. Papers said it was a crime of passion, but he told me there wasn't any passion to it. Told me that he planning to kill somebody for about as long as he could remember. Said that if they turned him out, he'd do it again. Said he knew he was going to hell. Be there in about 15 minutes. I don't know what to make of that. The crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. It's not that I'm afraid of it. I always knew you had to be willing to die to even do this job. But I don't want to push my chips forward and go all out and meet something I don't understand. You can say it's my job to fight it, but I don't know what it is anymore. More than that, I don't want to know. A man would have to put his soul at hazard he would have to say okay i'll be part of this world and that's the end so it is this idea of he's choosing to not to not move forward anymore you know he's yeah. he's choosing that it's too, the burden is too great for him and that he that he could know like he could keep going you know he's yeah. like i could I, but i don't want to yeah. you know i don't want to put my soul yeah. At risk for this. It's is it worth it?
1: Yeah. So I mean but I don't even know if that's his choice, really. Right. Like, he may say I'm done, but I don't know if he is, you know. Right. Like it's
0: yeah, I think this movie, while like esoteric in a lot of ways, is hits on something that I think we especially maybe here in the United States feel a lot about the state of our country and our the place that we live you know is it it's bad a lot of it's bad there's a lot of bad shit going on yeah right now yeah. and and some people keep you know keep up the good fight you know some people keep keep going out there facing that facing that down and but more and more as it as more and more things come up, more and more people check out, yeah, it's too much for you know more and more frequently and uh, it, it's it's tough it's tough to to know the evils that you're facing rather Together. than be blissfully ignorant.
1: What's the Hamlet line? There are more things in heaven Horatio earth Horatio than dreamt among us mm-hmm. like. I, I, I and that always that line always reminds me of the Bible, the Bible line is like you're you're not just facing I forget the exact line but it's you're facing supernatural evil
0: hmm.
1: you're not just facing tangible things you're facing spirits you know like I think that's what Shagur kind of like emulates in this is like, he is like, he's like a spirit, a, a, a ghost, you know, like mm. he, he represents so well that there is this like thing lurking, this evil lurking. But like, I don't know. I think we have to like, we have to like hope there's a fire, you know, we have to hope that we just got to keep going and hope that there'll be a, a warm place eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, this is this is my struggle and plight. And it's like, what's the point a lot? But, mm-hmm. you know, like what we're doing here, you know, like I, I hope this is making an impact in some way. Mm-hmm. That, when, when the pandemic happened, it was like, well, why, why am I even doing art? You know, like Mm. I wanted to throw everything away and just be like, well, clearly none of this matters, you know? And then not only that, but like the whole world started making content at the same time. And it was like, and, and even if I make something, who's going to see it, you know, Mm. which is very like trivial in comparison to like, a a mass shooting or whatever. But Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, if you let that, if you let that feeling, that feeling can overtake you. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Whether it be a mass shooting or whether it be like what you're passionate about and being ineffectual. Like, you can let that consume you, I think. Mm -hmm.
0: It'll, it'll sideline you.
1: Yeah. And, and you have to once you're
0: once you're sidelined, the world moves moves on without you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like you have to figure out a way to keep going. Mm-hmm. But the yeah.
0: Weirdly enough, like, and this is maybe is weird to say, and maybe I I hope it's not offensive in some way. You almost need to be like sugar in a way, like yeah. he he is he moves forward despite everything, despite. Anything,
1: he just keeps going. But he's inhuman. But that that makes there's something that's like that's the point,
0: though, is that it is it's it's almost impossible to be that to just keep moving forward that steadily.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and and as we're we're coming to the end of our, our conversation here, um, I do just want to acknowledge that the title of this film is is taken from, uh, a 20th century poem. From uh, William Butler Yeats, uh, it's uh, the title of the poem is "Sailing to Byzantium," and this is it's pretty short. So that is no country for old men. The young, in one another's arms, birds in the trees, those dying generations at their song, the salmon falls, the mackerel crowded seas, fish, flesh, or fowl commend all summer long. Whatever is begotten, born, and dies, caught in that sensual music, all neglect. Monuments of unaging intellect. It's a very interesting little poem. And I have to read it,
1: it, read it. I have to see it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's just so interesting because it, le- it, it has so much beautiful imagery. Yeah. Birds in the trees, salmon falls, macro-crowded seas... Summers all summer long unaging intellect monuments of unaging intellect, sensual music. It's all very beautiful in a lot of ways. And, but it's talking about that is, that is no country for old men. That is for the young, those dying generations at their song. It, It's basically saying, like, are people who have lived, are they unable to participate in the beauty of the world in a lot of ways? Like, once you're, like we said, once you've lived, do you you get to see the the beauty?
1: Well, I think, I think this whole, this last line here, monuments of an unaging intellect, right? Like... It's saying that when you're in it, you're not able to know you're in it. You're not able Mm -hmm. to, you're not able to like move through it in a way with, with wisdom. Mm -hmm. But like once you have wisdom, you're no longer a part of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this unaging intellect, it's like, it's unaware of its own stupidity, Mm -hmm. you know, but you've already transcended it once you've gained the intellect. Mm.
0: So, yeah, that's been our conversation of No Country for Old Men. Uh, Please let us know what you all think at home as you watch along. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your interpretations, the way you feel uh, and how it connects with you. Um, It is time for us to talk about what is next. So, Seth, it is your turn.
1: What is next? Oh man, uh, I was—I I always forget that I have to pick a movie until we like are in here, and I'm like, shoot, I have to pick a movie. But this is a movie I was talking about this week. Um, with a, a, this is kind of—I think the opposite of this movie. <laughs> so good. It's kind of it's kind of works. Um, we're gonna do one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, or uh, maybe not favorite movies, but a movie that was deeply impactful on me. Um we're going to do Risky Business.
0: Oh, Risky Business. Okay. Risky Business came out in 1983. Uh it stars Tom Cruise. Uh yeah. Actually, you know what's funny, Seth. You are the one that introduced me to this movie. The first time I watched it was at your place.
1: Oh wow! I didn't know that. I mean, it is when we were when we were in Chicago. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I love this movie. Uh, this is one. Of, this movie is one of the reasons I moved to Chicago, and it definitely like impacted the way I moved through the world. So nice, nice. So next uh, episode
0: next week we will be uh, doing risky business. Well, not we will be doing Risky Business. We will be discussing Risky Business. (laughs) Uh, If you want to watch along, uh, watch Risky Business with us, you can check it out on HBO Max, Google Play, Vudu, YouTube, and Apple TV. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and watch along with us, and uh, we will be uh, breaking it down next time. Uh, Seth, go ahead and shout yourself out. Let everybody know where they can find you, how they can see your stuff, buddy, because you're a very talented artist and – uh,
1: I do have a website that has some stuff on it. It's, uh, well, g- shout it out. www.sethcrow.com. It's crow with an E. Um, you can also find me at The Birdie Word on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Seth Adam Crow on Instagram. And I have a podcast called The Crowcast that's on Apple Music and Spotify. That's The Crowcast, two words. D, and then crowcast one word c-r-o-w-e-c-a-s-t
0: awesome thank you seth yeah seth you got a lot of stuff going on there bud
1: you know we're we ain't old yet
0: <laughs> we ain't old yet uh and i am ricardo blade diaz you can find my personal uh uh social medias uh on tiktok and instagram at ricardo blade diaz as my full name uh and then you can find both me and seth uh in our dungeons and dragons show uh, that is at character player. You can find that on YouTube and Twitch. If you want to watch the show, or you can find it on Apple podcast and Spotify as character player, just like it sounds two words. Uh, you can find our Ravenloft podcast, our misfits of the multiverse podcast, our zombie you podcast, our w- wild West coast story. Oh my gosh. So many different Dungeons and Dragons stories to be told. Uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, uh, I think it's pretty entertaining. I think we do a pretty great job. So go and check it out. Again, that is at Character Player uh, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, Twitter, at Character Play, and YouTube and Twitch, Character Player. Thank you all so much for listening. Seth, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you can catch us on the What's It About Film podcast again very, very soon. We'll see you then. Adios. Bye.